I'd like to welcome our guests here this morning. Uh, it's very nice to see you. If you haven't checked in, please do so. We check in here on Facebook. For every two check-ins, we give a meal to a needy child. So if you haven't done that, take a minute. I believe the campaign is going very well. Uh, we have provided 80 meals uh, for kids in need, and I believe overall in the United States, over 43,000 meals have been donated for children in need. So please, uh, please do that, take care of that. If you ordered books uh, with Amy uh, through the, uh, Amy, what was the name of the, where are, where are you, Os Osborne, uh, there's, there's a table out here with those books, you can come and pick them up, uh, I see that there's bags and your name is on the bag, so just, I guess everybody's paid up, so if you didn't pay up, pay up, don't take them unless you pay, this is church, no stealing, uh, make sure you, you kind of head out there. All right. So, guys, are we ready back there with Tech 2 on? <laughs> Mowage is what brings us together today. I guess, I guess now it's politically incorrect to say man and wife. You have to say husband and wife. That I've been corrected uh, once or twice in my day. But this idea of marriage... Um, those who are married, man, we try to figure it out, don't we? We try to live into this thing, figure this thing out. We, it's, it could be a bumpy road at times. Um, I'm not quite sure there's a lot of seasons of smooth sailing in marriage. But when you are committed to love that person who you are entering into that covenant with, then there's no better or sweeter place to be than by the side of that man or that woman. Now, in the Old Testament, in the Bible, uh, they, they describe marriage almost as a, a mingling of souls. And in fact, the Bible talks about marriage quite a bit. It's, it's throughout the pages of the scripture. And, it's, and actually, it's, it's, it goes much deeper than just the relationship that we see here on earth. It, it speaks to, it points to something beyond itself. It points to something that is sacred, that is holy, and that is eternal. The Bible begins and the Bible ends with heaven and earth kind of meeting up together. In Genesis, which is the first book of the Bible, chapter one, it says, God created the heavens and the earth. And these are, they were created in their original form to complement each other. Many times in our Western culture and in this day and age, we think heaven is way out there and earth is way down here and there's no commingling, but that's not the way God originally attended. They were meant to complement each other, heaven and earth, both part of God's good creation. And as you read that creation story in Genesis chapter 1, God creates these other things that, that complement each other. Right? We, have, we have light and dark, sun and moon. We have uh, evening and morning. We have the sea and dry land. We have plants. We have animals. All these things are part of God's good creation, and they're all, they're all kind of created to, to be in relationship, in rhythm with one another, to complement each other. 
Now, by the time the Genesis story goes on, God gets to the end of creating, and now he's going to create his masterpiece. And he creates man and woman. Man and woman were created to to complement each other, to walk in this rhythm, sacred and holy rhythm that that God has created. Genesis chapter 2, again, the first book in the Bible, it tells us that a woman was created from the man's rib. Now, what they're getting at, the woman wasn't created from a man's foot, so the woman should be under a man. The woman wasn't created from something around the man's head, so she should be over the man. She was created from his side, that they would walk side by side, complementing each other, in this, this rhythm, in this harmony that God establishes throughout this amazing creation, this good creation that, that he brings forth. And in chapter 2, it says that a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is the first instance where we see marriage in the Bible. A man and a woman will become one flesh. It's this, it's this picture of a reality pointing beyond itself, pointing to something much deeper, pointing to something about God. Now that's in the first part of the Bible. When we get all the way through all of these pages, when we get into the last book of the Bible, in the last two chapters it says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Again, we have this this picture of of marriage. And later on, around chapter 9, it says, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And when it talks about the lamb, it's talking about Jesus. When it speaks of this new Jerusalem, it's talking about the church. Those people who have put their faith in following, that are following Jesus Christ. And so, there's a new heaven and a new earth. God has redeemed the whole thing. He's made it it the way he originally intended it. In fact, in that that last uh, chapter, chapter 21 of Revelation, it says that he is going to be with his people. And there'll be no more death or mourning or sadness or tears. God is renewing all things. The bride is the church. The husband is Jesus. See, marriage points to something much greater than just the relationship here on earth. It's a picture of restoration of God's creation back to the creator through Jesus. There's this letter in the New Testament written by this guy Paul. And Paul writes this letter to the church. And in the middle of this letter, he starts to unpack for the church how husbands and wives are kind of supposed to treat each other. And so Paul says, okay, ladies, here's how God would want you to love your husbands. And, and gentlemen, here is how God would want you to love your wife. And so he lays this all out for the church. He writes this in this letter. And when he gets to the end of, the le- when he gets to the end of that section, he writes this. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, 
but I am talking about Christ and the church. So Paul, again, is going back to that first book in the Bible, back to that creation story, and he, is, he again is reiterating this idea that a man is going to leave his parents, be united to his wife, they will become one flesh, and then there's this, this mystery about Jesus in the church. Marriage points to something far greater than what we can see here on earth about something far greater than we can experience here. It talks about how Jesus and the people that will follow Jesus in some way when he returns will become as intimate as husband and wife, as a couple that are married. And it's a mystery. Now, there is a time coming. We know that Jesus had walked the earth. He went to the cross. He died for our sin. There is a time coming where he will return. And on his return, his followers and God will be made one. There will be something that takes place, this renewal of all things. There will be this intimate relationship. And so every time we celebrate marriage, we celebrate something far bigger than what we just experienced here on earth. We celebrate something that God is doing and continues to do as he is in process of restoring all of this. Now here's the thing. For, for the church, for Christians, it is important for us to understand what our relationship with husband and wife should look like. It's important because it's part of a bigger picture. It's important because it points to Jesus. And so the way I treat my wife should point people to Jesus. The way my wife treats me should point people to Jesus. Now, I will say that she does a much better job of pointing people to Jesus than I do. And I'm probably going to say that most wives do because we're men. but it's showing this relationship that God desires between him and his creation. And so that's why the Bible explains these verses of, of what it kind of looks like, how a wife should love her husband, how a husband should, should love his wife. And what I like to do is I like to take a few minutes and briefly kind of unpack a little bit of what this looks like. Because remember, we're looking at a bigger picture of who God is and what God desires for his people. Now, we're going to leave Paul's writings. We're going to go to this guy by the name of Peter. And this is what Peter writes. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the, fa by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornments, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Now, I, I felt the, the, the cringe as soon as that submit word come up. In fact, I think I heard somebody go, oh, no, he didn't. But, but just, just don't build the wall right yet. Stay with me through this because that whole submit part is, is really secondary to what the scripture wants to teach about the relationship between, between husband and wife. 
Because what this is speaking to is a wife putting her hope in God and God alone. Her hope, her value, her strength, the way that she defines herself, her purpose is found in God and God alone. Nothing here on earth, in in no man shall she find those things, but only in her creator, in God. And then it says, don't put your hope in external beauty. It doesn't, it's not saying here that you can't, you can't, have a nice hairstyle, or you can't wear jewelry, or you can't wear makeup. That's, that's not what it's saying. What it's saying is that external appearances aren't as important as what's going on on the inside of you. That's where you find your worth. That's where you find your value. That's where you find your purpose. All of the stuff on the outside is fleeting. We all get old. We all get, I woke up one morning, I have these dark circles under my eyes. I mean, I was pretty much an Adonis up to about a year ago. And, and, and I just, all of a sudden, like, I hit 50, and, and it just, what happens? I have more hair in my ears than on the top of my head. All right, I know, t- TMI, I'm sorry. But, you know, looks are fleeting. And he's telling the wife, don't put your hope in this external stuff. Put your hope in the inside. Put your hope in God. There's a great proverb uh, Proverbs 31, and it talks about a wife. And here's just a, a quick section of it. it said, this is talking about a wife from the Bible. She is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom, and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive. Beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. This does not sound like to me a weak woman. This sounds like a woman who, who has cultivating and is cultivating her own heart and her own soul. And as she does that, she can speak words of wisdom and instruction. Those things just don't come easy. That's about, that's about getting in on the inside and cultivating yourselves, ladies. Ladies, pay attention to what's going on on the inside. You will speak words of, of kindness. You know, and what that means is that uh, there will be no need for you to prove that you're better than anyone else. You will not be threatened by anyone's gifts or, or talents or good looks or bad looks or their, their life. This is, this is a woman, this is a woman who knows who she is. This is a woman who is not afraid to be who she is. This is a woman who has confidence in her own skin because she has put her faith, her hope, her strength, and her purpose in God and God alone. Now back to this idea of submission, submitting. The scripture really will unpack it, and and it doesn't leave it to the realm of some guy saying, woman, give me a beer. That's, that, that's not what it's talking about. This is about a wife, and, and notice what it says. Submit yourselves to your own husband, not all men throughout the whole world, but this is about a wife who will respect her husband. In Proverbs 21, it says, it's better for a man to live in the desert than to live with a quarrelsome wife. 
So what it's saying is it's better that your husband shrivel up in the desert and die than to live with a quarrelsome wife. It's better for him to die than for a wife to belittle him, to berate him, to disrespect him, even if he's a doofus. See, it's, 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 this is more about the wife and her relationship to God than if he deserves a beatdown or not. Even if he's a doofus, wives, we're, you're called to respect your husband, not to belittle him, not to berate him, not to beat him down. And as it speaks about purity here, it's speaking again of this idea of respect, respecting your husband. See, the wife, in her heart, she knows her husband's strengths, and she speaks into those strengths. She encourages him in those strengths. She speaks well of him, and she also knows his weaknesses. And and come on, guys, admit it. We got a lot of them. But she doesn't harp on those weaknesses, but she speaks life into them and encourages him in those things. She's not thinking about, I wish I was married to someone else. I want this guy. No, no, that's, that's not what she's looking at. She knows that her husband is flawed, and yet she respects him even in his flaws. She respects him for the good, and she respects him for the not so good. And the idea of a gentle and quiet spirit. See, here's the thing. Men have been taught to shut it down. Men have been taught, you got to man up. You don't, you don't share your feelings. There's no vulnerability. Those are, those are just ugly words for a guy. And so we've been taught culturally, man up. You don't cry unless it's a decent Hallmark commercial. Then you get one tear, one tear at best, and you move on. But this idea of a gentle and quiet spirit within a wife, she has learned how to speak to her husband so that he will open up to her. She is his safe place. She is a place where he feels safe and he's willing to share what's going on on the inside of him when the entire world around him says, suck it up. And that comes from a wife who would respect her husband. This is, a, this is what biblical submitting to your husband is. It's respecting him through the good and, and through the bad. It's this gentle leading. It's, it's a meekness. The word meek biblically means strength under control. That's a wife. That's what the Bible talks about. Now, gentlemen, we're going to look at Peter's version of what a husband is to do. And it seems to be a little bit shorter, and it is, but if you want, ladies, if you want something else to read, you can go to Ephesians chapter 5, and Paul writes a whole lot more to the husband than he does the wife. But at First Peter, he continues on. He says, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives, and treat them with respect as the weaker partner, and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Gentlemen, Husbands, be considerate as you live with your wife. They are not our servants. You know, you would think after 25 years of marriage, my wife would no longer have to remind me that she's not the maid, but she does. But they are not put here to serve us. They are not put here to fetch us the things that we need or that we want. 
In fact, what the Bible says is the husband is to serve the wife as Christ came and served the church. So what this is, this is like ancient language for guys, hit pause on the remote, get off the couch, and do something. Now imagine, like a generation ago, you know what? When, when, when we had to miss a show, there was no recording it. You missed the show. But the Lord has graced us with a DVR and a pause button. We can pause live TV and actually get off the couch. Our day doesn't end when we get home, just as our wives' days don't end when they get home. And if your wife works from home, works at home, her day never ends. And so our day should not end either. We have exactly the same responsibilities as they do within the home, within the marriage. Now, you can kind of split those responsibilities up as the relationship deems fit, but gentlemen, we don't get to demand what we're going to do and what they're going to do. This is a mutual, um, complementing each other, rhythm and harmony relationship. Be considerate as we live with our wives. We're called to live with them in a way that is not only considerate, but also honors their hearts, honors their soul. She comes first. We lead in the home by serving and by loving. This is what the Bible calls us. And this whole idea of um, treating them with respect as the weaker partner it's not derogatory, and, and in the, the ancient language, in the Greek language, it's talking about porcelain. It's talking about your wife isn't just an everyday thing, an everyday relationship. Gentlemen, we treat them with love and respect and with gentleness. There's nothing that she is a second-class citizen or lower than we are in, in any way. She is special. We're called to create space for her to grow. Grow not only uh, grow into the things that God has called her to, the person that she is. Grow as a woman, and not just as your wife. It's our responsibility to create that space, to encourage that space, to encourage her. In Psalm 128, it says that a woman who lives with a godly man will be like a fruitful vine which means that she will grow, she will grow healthy, she will mature into the woman that God has designed her to be within all the passions and the talents that God has gifted her with. And this is going to look different in every relationship, gentlemen, and it's our privilege of knowing our wife. It's our privilege of understanding her and giving her opportunities to be who God has called her to be, understanding her hopes and her dreams. Now, I do believe that we, as the husbands, we, we have been given the responsibility and the honor to lead our family. This does not mean that there is no conversation, that there's no arguments, that there's no discussions about how things should go, that there's absolutely no disagreements. No, 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 no. This means that our wife is not a second-class citizen, that we are equal, that we, we are co-heirs of this gift of life. It's, it's like, instead of sitting at the head of the table, we sit at a round table. You can have equality in a marriage, and you could still have a leader. And we're called to lead by serving. It's our responsibility. It's our privilege. We don't get to demand. We don't get to think we're always right. We don't get to tell what to do. We love them as Jesus loves us. We love them as he loved the church. And he came and he lived for the church and he gave his life 
for the church. That's how we are to love our wives. And then it says, so nothing, so that nothing will hinder your prayer. Now, many people will say that, well, guys, if you're not loving on your wife, then, um, then God's not going to listen to your prayers. And I thought, well, what if you've been a real jerk to your wife for a lot of years, and then you pray, God, please help me not be a jerk. Does God hear it or not? I would know. See, I don't think it's about not hearing us. I think this is more about our hearts. If we are uh, demeaning, commanding, if, if we are some type of authoritarian in our home, then that's a, that's a hardness of our own hearts. And then we begin to pray very differently. We begin to pray selfishly. We begin to pray about us. We begin to pray for things that don't honor God at all. Maybe we stop praying altogether. You see, a man who is seeking after God loves his wife the way the Scripture says. And a woman who is seeking after God loves her husband the way the scripture says. But here, here's the thing. Like, none of us got it together. None of us got this thing perfect. None of us can say, yep, I'm done. I've achieved it. I am number one husband. Though I, I, I do have, no, that's number one father. Never mind. I have a trophy. I'm just not bragging, just saying. There's always grace. There's always forgiveness. There's always love. In this marriage relationship, we should look to forgive, and we should look to be forgiven. None of us are going to get there, but as we seek the things of God, we enter in more and more of how God wants this relationship to look here on earth because remember, we are pointing to something much, much bigger than just a marriage here. In our church, we... Um, we really take time and we celebrate certain milestones in people's lives. We, we celebrate, say, child dedication. Where we bring parents forward. And those parents, they, they vow before the community to, to love God, raise their children in the church, teach them about Jesus. And we celebrate with that. And in the, in the same way, we do baptisms. And in those baptisms, we hear the stories of people who, who have, uh, Jesus has gotten a hold of their lives and how he's changed everything, and we celebrate with them. Well, this morning, we get to celebrate with a couple today who has asked that they be married in front of their friends and family and in front of their church family. And so we are celebrating a wedding this morning here. Jonathan Burke and Melissa Williams, uh, over a year ago, um, Jonathan uh, proposed, and he came to me and he said, uh, I, think, I think God's saying something like, we should get married during church. I'm like, what? <laughs> Who does that? And then I thought, what an awesome idea. <laughs> like, we celebrate these milestones, so why not celebrate this one? And so, church family and, and their family and friends, we are here to celebrate not only their marriage, but how it points to something much bigger than ourselves. And so I'm going to ask Jonathan and his dudes to come on up here. And if somebody wants to let the bridal party in the back uh, in my office know that we are almost ready for them.
This is exciting, isn't it? <laughs>